Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kendall Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Welcome to the Azure Podcast being recorded on August the 9th, 2023. I'm Russell Young and I'm joined by Sujit and our guest speaker today, uh, fellow Brit who works here at Microsoft's UK subsidiary as well, Ian Pike. Um, Ian's a data and analytics cloud solution architect. Uh, he's been doing a lot of work and enablement around Fabric recently, so I'm really looking forward to that conversation and finding out a lot more about that. It's one of the areas I don't know much about, but I know there's a lot of excitement in the industry generally around that. Um, so we'll start with a few announcements. I see Sujit, you've got a couple in there. Do you want to do you want to kick off? Yeah, sure. Uh, so there's uh, various announcements with two specific services: uh, our Azure Chaos Studio and Azure Load Testing. So in Chaos Studio, uh, one of the uh, new preview features is you could use a user assigned managed entity or a custom role assignment, uh, which you can assign to uh, Azure Chaos Studio so that they can inject the correct faults into your system. You know, we have they have to give them certain permissions so that they can actually get into your uh, into your resources and make changes. And so you can now kind of tailor that uh, uh, very nicely. So that's one uh, update that's uh, been announced. Another one is they're expanding the uh, regions where Azure Chaos Studio is available, and it is now also available in the Southeast Asia region. And, and finally, probably the biggest uh, uh, update in, the, in in that service is uh, there is a, a couple of interesting new faults which are being added to the app service and virtual machines. Uh, those are the two services I'm, uh, um, I guess, that are the most popular ones, and they've added a, a fault where you can just kind of randomly stop the app service, you know, to kind of simulate what happens in, in a real-world scenario. How was your, how does your application, overall application, react when something like that happens? And another one is where, which is I find very interesting, is it can inject a, a network packet loss. So, you know, uh, it maybe there's, uh, you know, dropping a few packets here and there and what happens, you know, what happens to your application, to the libraries that you're using and things like that. So I think those are nice updates uh, for Azure Chaos Studio. Uh, then uh, in, in uh, for load testing, you know, we've got a, another set of updates. One is you can now run load tests for up to 24 hours. I think it used to be three hours is the default. So if you want to do beyond three hours, you still have to submit a support ticket, but they'll allow you to run it for up to 24 hours. So if you do have those long tests that you need to run, uh, maybe uh, the, you know there's a whole variety of uh, faults that you're, you're testing, you could, you could kind of put that in there. Uh, then also uh, with uh, load testing, is you can now use the Azure CLI, AZ CLI, to do a number of load testing uh, commands. So you know, if you're kind of doing this in an automated way, you could maybe just create a load test, run some tests, get some metrics, you know, all from within automation just using the AZ CLI. Uh, so that that will, that will really come in handy. And then finally, uh, the biggest uh, update I think is that you can run now run tests with up to 100,000 virtual users. So really, you're talking of using 400 engine instances of Azure Load Test uh, to uh, for to to give you a total of 100,000 virtual users, which 
There's a lot of users, I think. But uh, yeah, you, you still have to submit a, a support ticket for that. Again, it's not like automatic, uh, but they will uh, give you that uh, bump if you ask for it. So those are my updates, Russell. Thank you. Yeah, that Chaos Studio one, that's an interesting one. So testing mobile apps and things, getting network packet loss, that would be a good uh, good use case Indeed. for that. Wish I'd have found that yep. long time ago. Um, so the only one for me is, um, well, we haven't mentioned AI in a while now, at least five minutes or so. So uh, yeah, it's about scaling um, and the, the push of open AI and Azure AI infrastructure generally. So um, we've got some new SKUs. So there's an ND H100 V5 VM SKU which has got the NVIDIA H100 Tensor Core GPUs in it. Um, so this comes with low latency networking and, and other features that are really beneficial for AI scenarios. Those are now available in Eastern US and Southern Central US. Uh, you've still got to register to get access to them, but, but they're there and available now. Um, but probably the biggest announcement around this area is um, Azure OpenAI service has lots of different models in it, and those models are available in certain regions. And one of the most in demand model at the moment is GPT-4 and, and GPT-3.5 Turbo. They're now available in um, Australia East, Canada East, US2, Japan East and UK South. Um, and it's already available in, in a few places like East US, France Central, Southern Central US and West Europe. So, so that's spreading and growing out. Um, and uh, yeah, really good news for the UK as well to see us finally in the list there. I know a lot of people and customers that we've got have been waiting for GPT-4. Um, the article also talks about, you know, the growth in open AI customers and how popular the service is. We've onboarded something like 11,000 customers already, um, and there's an average of 100 new customers per day in the last quarter onboarding into it. So um, a lot of good growth there, a lot of interesting use cases. And there's a, a website I'll stick in the show notes, which has got some really good use cases around Azure AI, ML, and some customer stories on there that uh, that are really interesting to read because quite often when you think about OpenAI, you know, we're used to the chat interface, we're used to some machine learning models for recommendation engines and things like that, but there's so many different ways in which you can use it um, with these new generative AI models. There's a lot of interesting stories in there. So, um, Ian, over to you. I'd love if you could just give us a, a quick intro to yourself and your role and um, why have you been playing with Fabric so recently as well? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, so Ian Pike. Um, I've just transitioned from a cloud solution architect in our data and AI area uh, or CSU customer success unit over to um, to what we call is a, an Azure technical specialist. So it um, seems like um, a role that I did uh, um, almost uh, six years ago when I joined uh, Microsoft, but they've slightly renamed it uh, uh, for us uh, again. Uh, but yeah, working closely with customers to sort of uh, unblock uh, problems they're having, um, you know, uh, early on when they're sort of looking at our uh, sort of solutions. Um, I come from a Power BI background, uh, so Fabric is sort of being built on top of the Power BI uh, world. So uh, I was lucky to get involved in what are Fabric Insiders um, and getting an early sort of look at that. So I've been able to help in the UK sort of skill up and help some of our other CSAs and our technical specialists get get early site of that and then helping now customers sort of understand how they could go and use fabric cool thank you and what is fabric i mean i've again i heard lots <laughs> of announcements around it i understand it's some kind of software as service that's related yep. to databases what what's the overview in the use case yeah 
Yeah, so we announced them um, from Microsoft Build um, Fabric, which is obviously this brand new SaaS, and it's a SaaSification of um, a lot of existing services. So Power BI is what it's been built on top of. So if people are aware of Power BI, it'll be an easier transition. But a lot of our existing PaaS services, uh, for example, uh, Synapse, um, uh, Data Factory, uh, and some and some of our other ones, and some brand new services have been built in. So it's very much bringing everything into one interface so previously what would happen is that you would go up and spin up each of these separate services as PaaS platform um, and then have to manage them in different uh, UIs uh, and then have to work out your, your networking your, your private endpoints and things like that how you would link them together and then now with um, with Fabric, you've almost brought that into one one UI, so everything's in there, and it's almost in capacities. Uh, so you've we you know sort of separated the compute and the storage. So you go and buy a, a, a capacity which has got um, sort of a lot of compute attached to that, and you can go and do that. And then the storage is very separate. So it is, yeah, very much um, taking existing synapse um, and then also sort of bringing that under into a SaaS SAS world. Yeah, so uh, from uh, someone who, you know, coming from someone like me who maybe doesn't understand a lot about data in, in Azure, yeah. right? And I'm more of a software engineer. Uh, you know, the data side has still been a little bit of a uh, black box to me. Uh, but I, I want to understand, like, what are some of the typical use cases that someone would say, oh, you know, uh, we need to, uh, this is the uh, our flow or our data flow or whatever uh, is something that uh, it makes sense to use Fabric, right? Uh, give us an example so that we understand, you know, what is the uh, reason for someone to even look at uh, Azure Fabric? Yeah, and, and I think a lot of the use cases that we had previously with Synapse or, uh, you know, Data factory, so data factories are orchestration tools. So for bringing data into either a SQL Server or um, a data warehouse or onto a data lake, um, you know, those have always been there. So the scenarios that were always there before um, are still the same. So your ETL or ELT jobs, or you know, going building a data lake um, and then going in and spinning up something so Power BI can go and connect and bring you know that data to life for your business users is exactly the same. So, but apart from we're now bringing this into a SaaS world where you don't have to go and pre-provision all of those services. So previously you would have to spin up a cluster, um, for example, a Spark cluster, and then work out how long that was running, maybe shut it down, how that would connect um, and the permissions. Whereas with um, Fabric, it's very much, you're here, there's, there's two big things. There's the one lake, which underpins everything. So all your data is in one place, uh, but also there's this one security, which is a feature that's coming. It isn't quite there at the moment. Uh, so you have to go into each of the areas and sort of pre-provision that security. But Previously, you know, with the past services, you would have had to go into a different UI, spin that up, and it may have been a different engineering team that would look after that. And then there would be all the blockers of getting that approved and then the costings for all of that um, and, you know, managing all of that. Whereas, you know, one of the, the key phrases that came out um, that Satya and Arun, who sort of owns this uh, platform, sort of talks, the chief, um, you know, it, 
data officers don't want to be the chief integration officer or the CIO doesn't want to be an integration, you know, having to have that bottleneck of doing it. So, you know, doing it in fabric is is really simplifying that process. You know, it's not going to take away any of those existing past services. So they're not being sunsetted. You know, this isn't the end of the world if customers have got those already. So, you know, there's no you know panic to go and sort of say we need to jump because Microsoft's getting rid of them. It is more about our vision because it's in preview at the moment that in the next six months you know we're, we're going to you know sort of do that and being a little bit careful about where I, where I say the GA is um, at the moment because it isn't uh, it isn't available to say so yeah it's, it's sort of trying to bring all those services uh, in that and sort of so there's no real difference it's more about bringing collaboration to make that easier for other teams. Thank you so there's a couple of questions come out of that one is around the the preview program is that something yep. you can get onto do you need to apply for it how do you how do you go about playing with it yeah so it was obviously announced out of build in uh, may um and it was it's a free trial so Microsoft is giving you um, access to this. So if you've got Power BI already, it's quite easy. You can go in um, and within your tenant, um, if you're a Power BI administrator, you can go and enable it. Um, there are some sort of certain dates and those have slightly passed. So some customers may have already seen it enable in their tenants already, which might be interesting for some of them. Um, and I can su supply you with a link um, which talks a little bit about this, what you can and can't do. But um, in reality at the moment if you wanted to go and try this you just go into your tenant uh, turn on fabric and then you can go and try uh, do a trial and what we will do is then give you what we would call a power bi premium capacity which is a p1 capacity for free um, and uh, it was until the first of august it's now been extended till the first of october so you know you're getting a full p1 capacity which um, equates to what we call in fabric world an f64 um, you get that capacity to go and then spin up and try um, what you want to go and do off the back of it. And it gives you a fully featured uh, sort of trial capacity to then go and try all the, you know, the data factory, the data engineering, uh, data science, you know, Blade, um, real time analytics. Power BI is a little bit different because Power BI is GA. So it's being built on top of that. The others are in preview. So um, if you've got a premium capacity at the moment you can enable fabric in that as well you right. won't be charged for the fabric items you'll just be charged as normal for your power bi so if that's a pro license or um, if you're using a premium capacity okay got that so yeah sorry okay and the, and the other question that i had was was around imagining that you're a large-ish enterprise and you've got lots of different teams that want to use this service do you provision yep. just one and or or do you do you even provision it at all? Do you just turn it on and then you go into it? How did how does the delegation and grouping work? Is it an RBAC model in there? How do you specify who can do what and who controls it? Yeah, so there's a couple of bits inside that. So inside the Power BI tenant, um, like some of our other features, you have got the ability to just turn it on for the whole organization. Um, so that's one way of doing it. Or you can delegate it to security groups. So AAD groups um, you can go and do or um, what's our new entra, uh, a new, word, new way of uh, saying it, AAD uh, inside Microsoft. Um, but so you can specify groups. So there are 
a number of trials. So um, I'm trying to be, I can't remember if I, this has been announced publicly, but you can spin up more than one trial inside your tenant. There is a limit uh, at the moment, but again, you know, as everything, if you go and speak to engineering nicely um, via your customer accounting, um, they will increase that one. Uh, you can also go and find out who's started a trial and obviously then tell them either well you're not allowed to do this and things around that so there's very much the monitoring which has been built on top of power bi so the team have been very conscious about well you can go and lock this down if you need to um but you know as it's a trial we would love you to go and try it um there's also uh in in uh, azure at the moment you can go and buy the capacities so if you you wanted to go and spin up some capacities. They are a pay-as-you-go model at the moment. So you can, they start on an F2 and then go up, go up all the way up to a thousand and something. Uh, so they double every time. Um, you can obviously go and take those at the moment um, and they're a stop start. So you can obviously start an F2 and then if you didn't want to. The reserved instance model, which is very much like the Power BI Premium, is coming towards the end of the year um, around GA. So, you know, just to sort of to explain some of the licensing there. Yes, yeah, so, so just so I can understand the again the the overall use case for using uh, Fabric, I have some data that I want to ingest in, uh, crunch that data somehow, right? Yeah. Uh, do, do some compute on it, and then do some visualization on that data, right? So that kind of the overall spectrum of uh, things I should be thinking about in terms of using uh, Fabric. Yeah, it's, it's very much a unified platform. So from that point of view, you've got all the tools from the data factory to help ingest it, uh, to then either put it in the lake house, which is very much the in way of doing everything now, which is, you know, uh, under the hood is, um, you know, the uh, Azure data lake storage uh, from that point of view in the one lake, um, or you can spin up a, a data warehouse, which has got a SQL-like engine, um, you know, or interface to it. But underlying this, when we're storing the data, so as previously, you would have um, stored this in uh, a data warehouse, which may have been a proprietary engine. We're storing everything in the one lake uh, in Delta Park A. So this is one of the big changes that you'll see that when previously you would have put inside SQL and then that will be proprietary, although you would have been able to access it. Um, it does mean that SQL's the you know the the place that you have to go via. This now is all being stored in the one lake in Delta Park A. So that means that all the engines have been tuned so they can go and use Delta Park A. But also anything outside of Microsoft then can which can attach to almost the Azure uh, data lake storage can go and can attach to that as well and read Delta Park A if it's able to. So it's very much an open open source sort of model now with how the data is being stored. So that means as well that you can use notebooks to go and um, explore the data by the data lake or you can use the data warehouse as well to go and do a SQL like so it's very much um, you know letting people and the engineering teams or the data you know the data citizens use the tools they want to whether that's Power BI exactly can read directly from the data lake so there's a bit of a change around that for Power BI users um, and, and just being able to do this. And, you know, there's another tool, you know, one thing that I'm talking about, there's something called Data Activator. Um, internally, it was called Reflex, um, if you've heard of that, but um, Data Activator is an alerting tool. So it very much looks at patterns in your data. So if the data changes or and things like that, and Power BI previously wasn't able to do this very well, and Data Activator brings that in to sort of alert you if the changes, for example, stock levels or, you know, a very tumbling window scenario, it learns from patterns 
patterns and then you can get alerted and you know almost I'd, I'd call it a bit like um power automate for the enterprise it, it, it's taking that um you know alerting to the next level so it goes and does things off the back of what's going on and and then does it uh, <clears throat> come with a more enhanced UI? This whole fabric, like you know, as uh, Russell yeah. was saying, could be different personas using this, yeah. uh, uh, especially the ingestion part. As you know, the mapping for the parquet format and whatnot can get pretty uh, intense at sometimes. Uh, is that uh, you know, is there like a, a helpful UI now that helps yeah. uh, like a more average user do all of that? Yeah, definitely. So if you're used to the Power BI one, so it sits inside the Power BI UI, but when you enable that inside your tenant, what you'll see is this new persona switcher down in the bottom left, um, and that gives you different options on which tools you would use. So you get a dense data engineering persona, and then you would be allowed to go and do things around the lake house or you know data factory. You could switch into the Power BI, and then you know for the Power BI users that would be exactly the same. But you would then be able to go and connect to data sets, which then would sit on top of the lake etc like that so there's very much this uh, personas now and i think there's five in total so there's you know there's the data engineering the data scientist um trying to remember the real-time person uh, and then you know the data citizen at the front and then data stewards at the bottom so you know very much if you're aware of um purview which is you know obviously the governance tool within microsoft you know it, it's it's sort of using that as well. So there's very much this overview that Purview will sit around and help the data stewards understand, um, you know, what's inside Fabric. Um, and Fabric, you know, could be seen as, you know, this one lake is the the, the moniker of um, the um, is it the uh, the oh, the um, oh, it's the uh, what's it the one oh, I can't remember the the term now. Um, uh, the OneDrive for data. So if it's this one place that you put all your data in uh, and very much look at that and understand that your data is in there, but you can, you know, by capacity, make sure that people in different departments, so sales and um, uh, sort of HR aren't uh, are able to share data with each other, but without copying it across. So there's domains that you can specify, but also capacities all the way down to the one lake. So it separates the data. But, you know, previously you were copying things between different systems. So your, your SQL server from your front end would, would have one copy, you know, your data warehouse would have another copy. It's very much about putting it all in one place. And then there's this other concept of shortcutting, which is the quite cool sort of thing that has come in. Um, you can actually reference data from other sources. So rather than actually copy that data into your one lake, you can create a, a shortcut. Uh, at the moment in the preview, we've got ones to um, Amazon S3 buckets. So that means that rather than actually copy the data out of the S3 bucket, it's almost like a pointer to that data. So the one lake can see it. Um, it will do some clever caching over it and then read ahead um, and things like that. But when Power BI, for example, is trying to get hold of that data, it, it means that the data stays in your um, your S3 bucket and it's not copied all over the place. And obviously, if you've got existing data lakes, you can shortcut those already as well. Wow. OK, cool. yeah, that's, that's given me a lot to think about. I was going to yeah. ask about the purview integration, which which is which is quite key. Um, I was kind of wondering about um, you know, if you've got this as your one place to put all your data. Previously, I would have thought of a data lake as somewhere where you just want your analytics data and the stuff that you've finished and done with, not your transactional online stuff. Yeah. Could, could you use this for online transactional stuff as well, or is it not really applicable for 
You probably can technically, but it wouldn't yeah. probably be the best You probably thing. wouldn't do, yeah, for your online side of things as well. You would bring that potentially in. Um, obviously, a lot of online databases don't use the um, Azure Data Lake storage, which is what is under one lake, you know, sort of doing that. So you probably wouldn't do that. There are, um, I have seen um, a video post uh, with a guy in a cube. So if anyone's looking for things, the guy in a cube did a recent video with, um, uh, Bob Ward and he was talking about SQL Server with Fabric as well and I think you know longer term there may be this push that SQL Server you know maybe there'll be a closer integration between Fabric and SQL Server and things like that and some of those online sources so that will be interesting but yeah at the moment there's very much um, you know you've seen the Synapse world um, yeah. where you've seen the Dataverse so there's already the links that are being built around that um, so that people can already exist leverage their dataverse data inside fabric and things like that as well so you know that it, it's trying to make this whole thing easier and obviously yeah putting everything inside the one lake that's for the organization that then people aren't then having multiple places where things are stored i'm then wondering about you know when you've got a big organization all using it and and they're all got different times when they're going to be coming in different requirements somebody's going to try doing something that's really uh really really gnarly in terms of the compute yeah. or the data it's going to use how, how does it balance out all of that demand on i guess you've got a skew that you're paying for is all of the compute yeah. distributed across whichever region you go to is it yeah so you can have different um capacities for different areas so again if you're used to the power bi what were you able to is buy multiple capacities and then different teams could then you know, own those capacities and then you work out what that. So at the moment, very much with the Power BI, for an, as an example, the premium capacity is just dedicated to Power BI. So that's running for 24 seven um, and you do that. With Fabric, you could get the F64 SKU, which is, you know, almost equal to what the Power BI premium is. In the day, you could run it as a Power BI, just reporting on top of it. But then in the evening, it could just do all your ETL as well. Now, you need to balance that out. And we're doing some, you know, um, smoothing over the day to work out your capacity to sort of say, look, if you've got some spikes in the day, we'll allow you to do that. But over a 24 hour period, you need to be within that capacity limits and things like that. So, you know, it's very much for the um, for the users of that capacity or the admins of that capacity to work out, well, what workloads have I got? Could I, you know, rather than have this server that's running just Power BI and then doing nothing in the evening because I'm just based in the UK, for example, um, could I be doing some ETL work off the back of it as well? So it's very much allowing the, the end users to work out, well, where is the compute really needed? But also, yeah, we're allowing you to burst above um, in certain points uh, within reason. But then over the 24 hours, we'll make sure that, look, you can't get an F2 capacity, but then burst out and pretend to be a 60, an F64 capacity because that's what what you need to be paying for so you know the, the, it's definitely the compute capacity is the you know the fixed cost on a monthly basis the storage is going to be slightly different so um there will be a variable cost on storage um we're still waiting for exact details on on how that's going to be but um you know pretty much if you've got like a um like a p1 premium capacity at the moment you get 100 terabytes included we believe that you know they're still working that out but you know there'll be some storage included but then there will be some points where you will have a monthly cost depending on your storage but you know i know it's easier for me to say storage is quite cheap 
So um, if you if if you separate the storage out from the compute, the compute is the is the big fixed you know cost. And if you compare that to some of our competitors, that's where customers see that you know the compute is variable and that you know can hurt them if they do big. I was going to say only hundred terabytes. Uh, that's too. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I, I wonder from uh, from an app developer perspective, right? Because that's my uh, forte, my area. Uh, you know, how should we uh, think about uh, Fabric, right? Like, there, I think you briefly mentioned there are some SQL APIs yeah. you could get to, you could use to get to that. Uh, besides that, are there other, are there other kind of extensibility points where we can build applications that leverage uh, Fabric specifically, or is it just a matter of using the existing underlying resources that you said are wrapped into Fabric? Yeah, I suppose from an app point, it's probably understanding um, back similar with the operational databases. So, you know, they'll be able to read with normal APIs. So, um, you know, going forward, um, a bit like, you know, when you see Power BI at the moment, you've got Power Apps and they work very closely together and being able to leverage that. And I, I'm sure it'll be similar with Fabric that you'll be able to get endpoints that you'll be able to go and read out that data and things like that. The writing obviously will be the interesting point if they're coming back in. Obviously, that would usually be the operational side of the data. But, um, you know, there are, you know, uh, things around that, you know, and obviously we've got Cosmos DB. So very much the um, the, the team that now look after Fabric sit under or are sitting together with all our other operational databases. So if you look inside Microsoft now, very much Arun, who owns the, the Fabric, also owns the SQL Server, the Cosmos DB and things like that. So you're going to see a very tight coupling, I think, of, you know, in the next couple of years about how those all work together, I think. And, you know, you see the Synapse link, um, which was for Cosmos DB and things like that. That'll be extended, I'm sure, to Fabric. So, you know, there's going to be this very much, you know, I, I think us trying to work out with our app dev, you know, colleagues about how does this all fit together and how do we talk to customers about this end-to-end -end experience? Um, you know, obviously it's in preview at the moment. So, you know, if, if people have already seen this, I'm very much the co-pilots and, you know, happy to talk about those. I know, Russell, you've got a question now, so maybe we'll save it for after that one, but that's another interesting area that we could talk a bit. So everything in Microsoft is going co-pilot and Fabric isn't any different. Well, that, that was my question. So I was going to ask exactly that. Um, I was going to say we haven't <laughs> spoken about AI now for 25 minutes. So what are the plans around Copilot yeah. within within this interface? Is, is there already one there in the preview UI? Yeah, so it's an interesting thing. So, um, yeah. So if you go out, there's two sizzle visios um, available from Build. Uh, one is a Fabric Copilot um, and then there's also a Power BI one. Um, they're both looking at visions of what co-pilots will be. Um, they're both in private preview at the moment. So if we talk about a roadmap at the moment, so Power BI is part of Fabric, that's GA. Um, the data factory, the signups data engineering, the data warehouse, uh, the data science and the real-time analytics are all in public preview. The data activator is in private preview, but coming soon. And then we've got the two fabric co-pilots the, and the Power BI. They're very much still in very small um, sort of things, I believe. We've, we've got 10 or so customers sort of making sure we understand what they are. Um, 
the videos make it look really exciting. Um, so I need to temper a little bit from what I've seen and what I've heard um, and try not to give away too much without getting told off uh, that I'm not allowed to say too much around this. But there are two yeah, ones, one which is very much Power BI. And it, if you see the video, it goes and builds the report on top of an existing data set and does some really clever things in there to help you change the report, add some visuals in there. So for me, even though I'm a Power BI person, I go and build the data models. It really helped me because it takes me a week or two to build the nice visual front end reports, whereas this thing builds them in seconds, um, you know, a five minute sort of thing. And then there's a there's a wider co-pilot for Fabric, which may help you build um, your data pipelines in um, Data Factory, for example, or help you just go and write some SQL and things like that. So very much like, you know, um, a programming, you know, the GitHub, you know, co-pilot will help you go and build those or, you know, understand your data and things like that. So, you know, so there are co-pilots coming, um, whether they're co-pilots like you've seen before or they're more feature co-pilots is probably to be seen. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I've seen I've seen a preview of the, the co-pilot for Power Apps um, and yeah, it's just incredible what it can do. But um, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you've got to know how to use it a little bit as well. And you, you've got to be descriptive and use the right kind of uh, language to give it enough information to be able to do a good job. Otherwise, you end up with uh, something that you might not like. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like an internet search, isn't it? You're looking for questions and I, you know, I, I won't use the, the, fame, the main term that, you know, but if you're binging something or, you know, going along that, you know, you've yeah. got to ask the right question. And I, you know, I see the co-pilot's exactly the same. It's giving it the right prompt to go and say, go and do something for me and finding the right answer. And I think it's, as it says, the co-pilot, it's, it's not there to do your job for you. It's to help you do your job. Yeah. And, and you still got to review the output of it to make sure you're happy with what it's doing. And I just uh, kind of ask this in the interest of transparency. You said that this uh, free uh, trial is going to be around until October. Uh, and yep. so it, beyond that, they're going to be you know, they'll be seeing like some sort of a bill, right, for for, for those if they, if they continue using yep. uh, fabric beyond that date. And uh, I imagine the you know, the, the those aren't going to be small numbers. right? I mean, fabric is not a it's not like a, <laughs> you know, cheap so, yeah. service. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. So um, it's been extended to October. Um, it will be free from what I understanding until GA or, or some sort of things. So, for example, you know, for example, at the moment, if you if you turn this on in your Power BI premium capacity, only the premium uh, Power BI things are chargeable. So, are you know, from that point of view, are actually drawing down against your capacities, um, you know, performance and things like that. Whereas the fabric ones are still not doing that. So there may be some changes and slowly rolled out. But, you know, I don't think this is, you know, GA isn't six months away. Um, you know, I think I can, I'm okay to say that sort of thing. But what GA is, is, is obviously going to be sort of coming out in the next one. Obviously, your roadmaps and things like that. So very much, if you're the Power BI world, you will see monthly releases for Fabric, and it's very much going down that route. So the team that built Power BI is very much behind this and the methodology and how they deliver and the consistency for users every month that they will have this roadmap and we will deliver to that roadmap and you will see those um, things like that, you know, very much different to, you know, 
when I started out with SQL Server 2006, you, you know, or, or earlier, or, you know, things like that, or, you know, SQL Server, it, it, it's that, you know, you're not going to see four years before something's done. You will see every month a release train uh, and it'll be consistent across those products. So, you know, I think that's a good thing. But obviously, I know, it, as everyone knows, it, it it's a quite a challenge then to keep up with the changes that keep coming. Well, that's what we're here for, right? To keep the yeah. public up to date on those changes. So, yeah. yeah, we're happy to do that. Uh, yeah, no, this is really great, uh, Ian. Uh, I actually understand what uh, Azure Fabric is now for the first time. <laughs> yeah, and I think this is this this thing that you know I've come very much from a Power BI world. I've now had my eyes opened a little bit more into the the data engineering, um, and you'll very much look at the you know the the medallion architecture they'll talk about how they build the data out on the data lake you know so these you know these bronze silver and gold sort of layers about you know bring it in you know back in the day of etl it was you know the raw transformed and then you know your presentation things in your etls or your ssis or dts back in you know when i first started in, in sql server world so you know th there is a lot of language similar as you go along and build this out uh, it's just using different you know uh, processes or you know uh, you know lots larger scale with data um so i think customers you know it's not it's a big world to go and take on um you know for me it's been quite useful starting from the power bi because it's the interface is very similar so it's but it's now yeah stretching me out learning more about you know that you know data lakes and things like that as well and how you go and provision them yeah it's interesting i mean i was thinking um before having spoken to you, I was thinking about Fabric as being something that I go into Azure and, and provision to get access to, but it's not. It's Power BI. It's totally SaaS. It, it makes total sense now. And, and um, yeah, I'm starting to look at the preview thing in the background here. But it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting approach and um, I can see where it fits in the in the ecosystem now. So, yeah, thank you very much. It's been really interesting. I really, really enjoyed that. It's, uh, it's good to learn new stuff every day. Indeed, um, thank yeah. you. Any, final, <laughs> yes. any final thoughts from yourself or CJ? Any final questions from you? Yeah, I think Ian's already uh, kind of given us some hints that there's a lot of updates to come in this service. So we're certainly looking forward to all of those updates. And uh, yeah, I would be happy to have any, you know, any uh, any tips for, uh, you know, how someone can get someone who maybe has never used uh, Fabric before, what should they do, right? Is it just walk up to the portal, spin it up, uh, you know, I don't know, import some census data set or whatever and play around with that like what's the kind of you know easiest way for someone to to get going here yeah definitely and i should have mentioned this before so that's a really good point um good question so um i had one customer uh that i was dealing with and they pretty much went in um almost blind to you know what fabric was and they didn't have a great experience um so we've talked to this four happy paths um and they're available on uh, that and i'll make the links available but um there's like four things about learning about lake house the data warehouse data science um and and also the real-time analytics. So we, you know, I suggest to all my customers that they should go and do those first. Uh, there's also an MS Learn uh, course as well to get you, you know, the basics started there as well. So both of them are, are really good starting points for customers to go in. Uh, and then once you've done the happy path, it's a, it's a bit easier to step off those. And then, you know, as again, said, it's in preview. We want customers to use this and give us lots of feedback. Um, 
but yeah, every month things are rolling out. There's a bit, there's a blogs um, that are talking about there. There's known issues. So we're just, you know, we're being quite open around that. Um, the Gynacube one um, video as well. They've got some great early sort of, uh, um, sort of you know, 10 minute videos talking about what Fabric is, how to get started, you know, the costs and the licensing models and things like that. So, you know, those are definitely, you know, the things that I would start with. Um, and a couple of our partners, um, Difficult to know whether I should mention names, but there's some definitely, um, you know, some of our partners are doing some very good videos about talking through, you know, use cases. You know, Engine, I know they were they were on the internal private. They're they're a very good partner. They've got some videos on YouTube as well that are talking through that. Uh, Advancing Analytics again, they've also done some videos. Um, there are others out there as well. So that um, you know, really good to sign up and uh, we'll give you a good intro to you know what you should be you know to get into Fabric and how to get started. Other partners are available. We just have to yes. <laughs> just stay with them. No, yes. Thank you very much again, Ian. And um, I'll, I'll um, try and get those links off of you and post those in the show notes as well to, to get people started quickly. So appreciate the time coming on and thank you very much. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.